Hello and welcome to this episode of the Verso podcast, where Vivian Gornick talks to editor Jessie Kindig about her new book, Taking a Long Look, Essays on Culture, Literature and Feminism in Our Time. Gornick spent her childhood in the Bronx, where she and her family were part of New York's active network of socialist and communist organisers, experiences she details in The Romance of American Communism, reissued by Verso last year. After a brief stint at graduate school in California, she returned to New York and became a legendary writer for Village Voice. Her work there chronicled the emergence of the feminist movement in the 1970s, and for nearly 50 years, her essays have explored the connections between feminism and writing, literature and culture, politics and personal experience. Taking a Long Look is a career retrospective, touching on all these themes and collecting essays from across her writing life. You can buy it, along with The Romance of American Communism, on our website, www.versobooks.com. I was interviewed uh, by someone who asked me why the book was structured so that the, uh, the oldest was last and the newest was first. And I didn't really know how to answer the question. Um, I made up an answer, which of course you will hate. <laughs> I said, it's because I'm ashamed of the writing. I thought that the writing at the end is the worst. Therefore, I didn't want people to, I didn't want to put them off. I do hate it. <laughs> I didn't exactly say that, but I was more or less, I, I did say, I don't see why a reader should be submitted to a writer's apprenticeship mm-hmm. um, rather than la- let them come to it as they wish. Yeah. You know, if you you deliver the writing that you think is your best, well, then you're off the hook. I mean, you, you get, you've given what you're supposed to give, and then um, they can go on to the end or or not as they wish to see how this at the beginning came about uh i guess that was more or less our point wasn't it putting it that way like um here's the achieved writer you keep going through this and you'll you get more or less to how how that came about well let me ask you this i mean i I was reading the introduction to taking a long look again when I was on the subway, and so it's a in it you kind of you chronicle your apprenticeship as a writer and learning right. to write, um, and that is again so much of what the book does, does. itself, um, even if it does it in kind of reverse chronology, and it also has all of the different kinds of writing that you've done right. over your career, from what you would call polemic to. Um, short like personal essays right. to criticism mm-hmm. etc um and i wonder if you could just maybe talk more about how you learned to write oh how i learned to yeah, write how you learned to write oh or why you would call polemics an apprenticeship or oh well i did write about that in the introduction but uh i learned to write because that's what polemics can do for you mainly as i've said many times it taught me the value of a point of view even though my point of view then was um, my my point of view was something that I um, not imposed but was like a tool it was like a way a way I I made my way into a subject through that polemical point of view. In other words, I walked out into the street and I saw sexism everywhere. <laughs> it was like, like standing in the air. <laughs> so there was nothing I did that I wasn't seeing um, sexism. It's funny. I promised to blurb a book 
by an old old uh, friend, Jonathan Katz, who was a you know you know his I know, yeah. Jonathan Ned Katz, who's been writing about the history of homosexuality forever, and he's writing the book about a a, a Jewish uh, lesbian anarchist. Uh-huh. who was a contemporary of Emma Goldman's and who was, in fact, one of the crowd around uh, Mother Earth, whom I never heard of. So he's writing about her. Voltaire de Clare? Huh? Who is it? No, no, no. Um, she was Jewish, a Jewish um, hmm. uh, immigrant, uh, like them. You know, she okay. was an immigrant from the Russian Empire, like them. Uh, her name was, um, she had a Polish name, but in America she became a woman named Eve Adams of all things. But the point is, is Jonathan is writing this biography of this lost, discovered soul, mm-hmm. but completely from within the point of view of um, the uh, acceptability of homosexual uh-huh. relations, right? So that's, that's his starting, that, that's his tool. Yeah. It's, that's, that's, he's, he's, he's not writing it about any one of the 10 different ways in which you might approach a biography. He's writing from the point of view of making this life exemplify his interest in the in the difficulty of achieving acceptance for homosexual life, mm-hmm. right? And it and so he comes up and, I, and I'm reading it, and it's remarkable for how much I'm learning about the exactness of the way homosexual life was encountered and mm-hmm. received among. These sexually ignorant bohemian radicals, you know, <laughs> you know. I mean, really, people as innocent as the day is long. They fucked a lot, but they were utterly, you know, these long discussions about the difference between inversion and perversion, yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. All right. So when I started writing, I. Like every other young writer, I remember so well all the time. And we're like, what do I write about? What should I write about? You know, long before when I was in my twenties, what do I? What should I write about? I want. I know I want to write, but what should I write about? Well, anyway, polemics gave me something to write about, and what it taught me was here I had this established perspective from which my interest was going to develop. But I had to pay respect to the actual subject. Mm-hmm. So I was learning how to ha- have, hold on to a point of view from which I was interested in things, but the thing itself had to be served, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant by um, you know, having a point of view. Then having a point of view, realizing that there was always going to be the question of, why am I writing this piece and from what perspective? And that has to apply itself to, well, every novelist does the same thing. I mean, a novelist has an emotion, a moment of emotional insight and that insight is, is, is the driving force. And then the question is how to organize a piece of writing so that it serves that insight at the same time that the insight is not ruling yeah. The whole thing. Which is what a polemic would be, right? A is polemic it? rules. Right. Yeah. And so what couldn't you, what can't a polemic teach you, or I guess what? what it can, can only go so far. Yeah. I mean, and this is what it can, t- it can teach you how to understand 
all the parts that have to be in play. It can teach you, you have the right to start from the point of view of serving a cultural or a political um, perception. You want to show, uh, you want to show how terrible capitalism is at all times in all places. Yeah. So you walk out into the street, you go to the grocery store, and you see an argument between the clerk and a customer. And, and then the boss gets into it, and then mm-hmm. the manager gets into it. <laughs> <laughs> now, at the same time, there's a human situation here. Yeah. So you, you know, you're not going to write, um, the boss who exemplified capitalism then said to the customer who, you're not going to do that. Unless you were writing for the Daily Worker. Unless you're writing for the Daily Worker. Exactly. Unless you're Mike Gold. <laughs> Unless we're, we're into Jews without money. Right. <laughs> then that's exactly what you write. Yeah. 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 It's my job as a writer yeah. to put them all together brilliantly, to put them all together so that they, they serve so well that I feel acutely Mm-hmm. the humanness of the situation yeah. as well as the politicalness of it. Now, when I stopped doing that, when I stopped, when I started, as I said to myself, I'm tired of being a stranger in other people's lives, mm-hmm. which is what writing for The Voice began to feel like. Yeah, you know? because there was no self involved. I got tired of, the, of serving... Um, the cultural, political... I got tired of it. I, I yeah. wanted to look inward instead of outward. Yeah, yeah. And that there's no explaining, except that, um, yeah. you know, I was becoming who I was becoming. But I was close to 50 mm-hmm. when this... Uh, I was in my late 40s. Mm-hmm. And I was suddenly over... And that's when I began writing Fierce Attachments. Yeah. Uh, when I, I suddenly... But it had taught me... and. And the, it, I, it had taught me that I had to have a real point of view mm-hmm. in order to dramatize the story I thought I was telling. And it took a long time for me to actually isolate that story. And then what, it was one sentence, you know, uh, I could not leave my mother because I had become my mother. Yeah. And once I had that in my head, that sufficed for a point of view. Yeah. And then I, uh, by then I had about 60 pages written and when this when I saw this it clarified everything I went back and I rewrote everything mm-hmm. from that perspective I knew that I the whole book had to serve that sentence mm-hmm. and um, and that's something you could never get to with polemic or in another route through no. theory I mean you're a very rigorous no very rigorous writer very thoughtful writer yeah in my opinion and um I wanted to dramatize it, right? Right. Not moralize the, over it. Right. I didn't want. I didn't want. Yeah. To lecture. Yeah. Or uh, keep pointing out to the reader, which, which is what a polemic does. Yeah. Uh, I had a little bit somewhere. I can't remember where I put this. I think it's in the situation of the story, where I where uh, it was also a little example of what I'm talking about. Um, I took a trip down, a white water trip. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? I took a trip down the Rio Grande River with my brother uh, m- many, many years ago. Uh-huh. So we were in this, on this boat, and I, 
called up these people, these river rats, these guys who were running something. It was from the Sierras. I think it was from the Sierra Club. But they, these were people who were running these white, these, mm-hmm. they weren't really white water. It was, it was a trip down the Rio Grande, which there were rapids in certain places. And uh, you went from here to there, and then they picked you up in a jeep because you couldn't go back up the river. And, you know, it was like a, just a sporting event. On one side is Texas, and the other side was Mexico. Mm-hmm. And you're here, and there are cliffs, and there are all kinds of, of things to think about if you're middle-aged and overweight and can't swim, uh-huh. you know, which, <laughs> all of which I was. Uh-huh. So this guy says to me, lady, we haven't lost one yet, all right? So <laughs> I agreed to go. Yeah. So what was interesting was that it was on this trip that my brother and I discovered how much we didn't like each other. Oh, no. Yeah. It was like, it was really, it was like a litmus test, the whole little trip. Yeah. And there were a couple other people, and we were like, it could have held 12, I think, this boat, but it held four or five, and these guys, these guys who were yeah. running it, who were old-fashioned hippies, but not hippies, they were the kind who had been around forever. Like Edward Abbey Marshall, kind of guys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Guys with, with the beards and the cigars and the and the rough talk and uh, I'm from Washington. I know these. Uh, you know the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, they are your your, your relatives, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know them. So that's who they were, yeah. right? And everybody on the trip saw what was happening differently. Hmm. You know, everyone had a different source of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> And then my brother and I were really not liking each other. More and more, every word out of the other one's mouth. We, we, he was very laid back, so we never got into uh, a fight there. But it left me realizing how different, if every one of these people had written about this trip, how different it all would have been. Then a week after we were on this boat, um, snipers from Mexico shot and killed oh tourists like ourselves. Uh-huh. And then, you know, the following week, yeah, yeah some sni- snipers on the Mexico uh-huh. side. It was one of those hot spots with uh, illegal um, mm-hmm. passage over the river at mm-hmm. different spots. And the Texas police were um, like Trump. I mean, and, and the Mexicans yeah. were. So there was that war going on. Uh-huh. So I wrote this little piece in which I said... I would have written it this way. My brother, I didn't say my brother. I, I, in fact, I said my husband because my brother was a little, uh, I, I didn't want him to uh-huh. be the persona. But I was able to write this little thing about how I would have written it this way. He would have written it that way. Another person on the boat would have written a third. And I gave each of them a writing persona. Mm-hmm. Another one, yeah. One of them would have written like a social worker. One of them would have written like a racist, which he was. <laughs> I, I wrote, you know, only from the psychological point of view. Of, I can't remember what, all the people in the boat. Uh-huh. It was, it was, and I enjoyed it immensely. And I immediately thought if I hadn't worked at the Village Voice, I never would have been able to figure this out so fast. <laughs> so what was it about polemic, actually? It was the, the oh. training and point of view that that taught you how to do any kind of persona, Absolutely. how to inhabit a persona? Every, as I said to you, everywhere, I was in the habit, everywhere I went and everything I did, if I went to the movies, if I read a book, if I was at the theater, if I was having an encounter in the grocery store, it was all sexism. Mm-hmm. Now, I had to make that persuasive. A lot of that stuff that I wrote then still holds up mm-hmm. because 
I had it so solidly based in actual human encounter. It was my interpretation of the encounter that was based in sexism, in, in my struggle over sexism. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was suddenly seeing the world anew out of old experience. That was the key. Yeah. I used that image of the kaleidoscope, and yeah. that's what I meant. I still, I still mean it. I mean, you shake the kaleidoscope, it's the same pieces, a new design. Mm-hmm. And out of that, I was always applying that design to everything. So I, I knew there was so much personal journalism being written that was so bad. Yeah. Because people either, um, their version of personal journalism was their own feelings. Yeah. You know, what am I feeling now? And then, you know, so that was the worst. The best was stuff like, well, what, all the famous ones, uh, Mailer, Didion, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Wolfe. Mm-hmm. You look at the stuff those people wrote, especially her, Didion. Yeah. Anxiety was her yes. shtick. She applies her anxiety to everything. And when when she's got it in balance, yeah. she's brilliant. When she hasn't, when it, the anxiety becomes the subject, yeah. it's lousy. So it was the same with, with my polemical writing. Mm-hmm. I became one of the best of them because I paid a lot of attention to the human actuality mm-hmm. uh, in front of me. But essentially it was that I, I learned that you always had to have a position from which you were writing. There was something that, and then of course as time went on, it became more and more psychological, more and more, um, more and more I wanted to serve rather than use. Serve the, um, the insight? Sir, you know, serve the story. The story. Let me ask you about this, cause, because the, the story. Let's talk about criticism, if you don't mind, and turn to literature, um, because that when you're talking about the human insight and the kind of flash of insight that a novel gets built around, or that a novel falters on, right? Like in the the end of the novel of love, the kind of the count the essay that brings everything together. You yeah, talk about the right. Jane Smiley book, Age of Grief, right? Where you know it's it's oh, this God. like beautifully written, nicely plotted book, etc but doesn't quite work because the central gambit of the story is that we believe wholeheartedly that love is transformative and that that's not just a character's belief, but that our, you know, our reading of the novel hinges on it. Right. Right. And that that falters. And so there is no kind of larger insight. There's not that, you know, kind of human insight to build the book around. And so the book becomes kind of merely story rather than like a larger kind of work from which we can draw things. And, I was wondering if you could talk more about um, how you started writing about literature. Um, what that ta- I mean, we've talked about what you what polemic taught you as a writer. I'm wondering if you could talk about what writing about literature. Taught well, you as literature. A um, well, yeah. I, I the matter of writing about literature was just a matter of putting some things together that had not been put together, which which I isolated in the piece on D.H. Lawrence, mm-hmm. in, in which I said, uh, you know, I've been reading my whole life, reading for the pleasure of the story, which all young readers read. And it was only when I was about 20 and, and I was given the um, <coughs> Sons of Lovers to read that I realized I was reading literature. And what that meant was I had come to see that the story had larger reverberations than I ever could have identified when I was just thrilling to the story. Mm-hmm. And that those reverberations turned on large insights about 
human life, right? So that, I don't remember when I felt um, that I had the right to write about, I guess it was The Voice, Uh must have been The Voice, which gave everybody who worked (laughs) there the feeling that they could write about anything (laughs) under the sun. It was unbelievable. (laughs) That's why a lot of it's junk today, um, because everybody could write about anything. Nobody, uh, once they took on a writer, they just let you do whatever the hell you wanted. And it was, was, you know, yes, that's why we remember it, too. That is how I remember it. Well, that's why it was so alive. Yeah. It seems to me. That's right. That's why it still lives in. It you know, was. That's why we're so sad that it's gone, even though it was a shadow of what it was. <laughs> well, and, the, time and the time, the time is gone in totally. which that felt uh, brash rather than stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it was, little, yeah. it was living rather than um, yeah, uh, yeah, static and curatorial. Absolutely, let's say. absolutely. There were a lot of things that were. It was I mean that was the counterculture. Those were years in which. The fact that anything went was bo- had both its virtues and its vices. Um, anyway, so the voice invited me to do whatever I wanted, and suddenly I found myself. I think one of the first things I wrote was about Grace, Grace Paley. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the second book. Must have been the second book. The first book was called Enormous Changes at the Last Moment. I think. The short and, stories. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the second one. No, the first one was The Little Disturbances of Man. That was the first. And the second, I think, was Enormous Changes at the Last Moment. And I um, yeah, already loved her. Um, I had read, and I had written, I wrote a long piece about Grace in which uh, I said I, I was a graduate student at Berkeley for a minute, and I'm standing in a bookstore, and I see this book. I pick it up. It's late in the afternoon. I'm just going to turn the pages like you do with a half a dozen other books. And I suddenly stood there riveted. I read the whole first story and it was dark when I looked up. (laughs) So she meant easily a lot to me, to everybody. Uh, And the second book, I, I, uh, second book I was surprised to find myself feeling critical (laughs) rather than just um, head over heels in love. I began to see certain repetitions and uh, and I had a hunger to make sense of that. I mean, the voice invited me to do it, so mm. I applied myself to it. It didn't occur to me. But then I took forever to write the piece, weeks when it should have taken days, mm-hmm. at the end of which I felt incredible satisfaction, <laughs> incredible uh, love. I felt more love for what I had written than for what she had written. <laughs> What was it about? That's, that's a common experience among critics. <laughs> what did it do for you? Hmm? What did it do for you? Why did you love it so much? Why were you so happy? I was thrilled to feel my mind working. <laughs> I loved thinking. I mean, I loved yeah. thinking in this way about these things. And I saw that I, I had no real... You know, people often tell me I'm an intellectual. I, I will never feel I'm an intellectual. I <laughs> never in my entire life. I don't, what I call intellection has really to do with making large sense of abstractions. I start so completely from, from specific experience, mm-hmm. from just on the ground experience. And out of that, I do think I have a, a, you know, a feeling intelligence. I mean, it's not an abstract one. It's mm-hmm. not an intellectual one. But I know how to and want very much 
to use uh, my feelings, I use my intelligence to elucidate my feelings in such a way that it brings new life to the work at hand. That seems very much like feminism. I love doing that. Yeah, and well, that seems also... Feminism? Well, it seems to me the central insight, like the, if I'm just going to use your words, like the flash of insight of feminism to me is just that the body and the personal is also the side of the political. Um, and that seems extremely basic and like sounds like a cliche in many ways because it's been said so much, but I think it's so you know, it's so relevant because it doesn't start yeah. from like, okay, here's this large structure. It starts from where people yeah, are, feel, right? right? And then we talked about this when we published Romance of American Communism um, yeah. because so much of the argument of the book is that, or at least in my mind, is that the personal is the entrance to any kind of collective politics, uh, yeah. right? Uh, like without yeah. without a self, you can't be a self among others, nor right. can you advocate right. for others or yourself, Absolutely. Um, and so it doesn't seem... It seems well, totally it all has to me. do with a sense of the wholeness of being, which the world and the world um, has always... Not a, the world has assumed. The world has been made by those who have assumed a wholeness of being. Men. Mm-hmm. In other words, the race of men, the sex of men, are the original human beings who've been permitted to make the world and they've made it out of varying um, um, levels of um, what's the word amalgamation of all these feelings of is me there's the world there are these forces how do we put them together and we put them together differently but in all cases you see at work a group of people a sex in this particular instance a sex rather than a class or a race, Mm -hmm. a sex that assumes its right and its obligation to put things together adhesively. Mm -hmm. And to, to, we have had to struggle for that sense of right, Mm -hmm. for that that ability. We as women in particular, um, I don't think at any other time in my life would I have assumed that I not only had the right, but the obligation to um to to think as fully as hard and as fully and and have the obligation to um to think hard mm-hmm. about something uh i can't remember a time when i mean that is what feminism has done but all the liberationist movements yeah. have taken these these classes of people blacks women gays and um instructed them now in these years um this is your obligation as well as your right. Yeah. Not only your your right to act like a whole human being, it's your obligation. Mm-hmm. If you want to undertake all of these. So I watched much longer than you how women have entered all of these professions that they never dreamed they could enter. Mm-hmm. And it's a thrill to watch people, especially now the young, um, who um, who take their place in the world without any perturbation, any, any uh, is that the right word, you know, yeah. without yeah. being perturbed in any way about their right, their, much less their obligation to occupy a space in it. And I feel it's our struggle that gave them this. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for what we went through, women 40 years younger than me would never have, um, they, they go into it 
without thinking twice. I mean, as if there's no question. And it's always like that. Nobody lives historically. Everybody lives in the intense present. Mm -hmm. So whatever we have supplied for their present is like, hasn't it always been like this? Is there any other way to do it? But it has to do with that assumption uh, that a wholeness of being uh, gives you the right and the obligation to make the largest sense of what you are about in the world, <clears throat> no matter what you are, whether you're uh, going to be a lawyer or, or a writer. And as a writer, that's, that's, I mean, I discovered that I was a writer in this way. Mm -hmm. um, I discovered that uh, this was my bent. This is what I wanted to do, and lo and behold, I could do it. A lot of people don't discover that. They, 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 <laughs> this is my bent, and lo and behold, Christ, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, no, that's wrong. I'll do it. <laughs> All right? <laughs> but um, most of us, most women, have justified, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> have justified that equation. <laughs> Let me just ask you one final thing about the, the book. Um, taking a long look. Did you learn anything in making it with this long look that you're taking? Because it's the only, I think it's the only kind of career-spanning collection book yeah. that you've published. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, uh, I, did I learn anything? I, uh, well, this is not, not this is going to sound immodest, um, I learned that um, a lot of what I wrote was a lot better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because you often think it's bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I learned um, to feel more, and it sounds so silly, I learned to feel more self-confident. Uh, I really did. I came uh -huh. away feeling more self-confident. Um, about my life's work than I had. I thought I, I read many pieces that I thought, gee, this is really pretty good. Uh, and uh, I was very happy to be able to feel that. I mean, it was, it was funny. I know it. It sounds so uh, so absolutely personal. I don't know what we can use it for. <laughs> um, I've lived so much, and I still do, and I'm sure I will forever. People are constantly asking me if I'm happy uh, now when this happens or that happens or mm -hmm. a, or I'm recently I've been nominated. Did you know this? I've been not I think I'm not sure of taking a long look, but Unfinished Business has been nominated for the prize in essay writing from Penn. Oh, and also for the uh, what do you call it? It's been nominated. Of, uh, it's on the long list. I mean, not nominated on the long list. It's, it's on uh -huh. the long list. And it's on the long list for the National Book Critics Circle Award. Congratulations. Exactly. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Everybody says to me, congratulations. Yeah. Is this making you happy? I didn't ask that. No, no, you didn't. <laughs> but whenever it, it is asked, I have to realize how um, numb I am to, well, what I've told you many times, happy is a word I'd like to see stricken from the vocabulary. <laughs> but when I read Taking a Long Look, I'm, I am happy to see that I can respect myself more than I thought I could. Now that, I think, is a woman's problem. So mm -hmm. um, I'm, I, I'm, I felt like I was, I felt like I was taking that for, for my sex as well as myself. 
I'm delighted. If you know what I mean. I do. I'm delighted it did that. I also like that you hate happy. That's very New York of you yeah. rather oh. than American. I would like to see Merry divided from Christmas forever <laughs> and happy from New Year's. <laughs> and I think both words should be stricken from the language. Amazing. Great. <laughs> That's, That's a, a great ending. place to stop. Yes. <laughs>